This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. You know, it's been said that success comes to those who wait. Belief started in the fourth grade. I believe that it's earned with the right attitude. And I had this nagging feeling. A great belief system. I was capable of so much more. An action every single day. In all the pursuits that we have in our lives, I think there's an element of suffering. When you mix that in with faith, courage, discipline, and most importantly, a vision. Never give up on yourself. That's when greatness happens. The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland. Welcome to the Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today, those of you that know me know I'm a huge baseball fan. I'm sitting here with Mr. Jason Isringhausen. Jason, how you doing? Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. Good to see you. Good to see you. Keeping busy these times? Uh, between the chasing the kids and trying to get into the woods, yeah. I'm, uh, it's, it's been good so far. How's hunting going? Uh, pretty slow, but just got back from Pebble. And uh, that was nice out there, so we got to do some golfing with some guys. Now it's about that time to get started. With uh, we got the holidays coming up, and everybody knows after the holidays is time for baseball. Yeah. So uh, get going with that again. That's right. So so I texted you and, and said, "Did you break ninety? And your response: You got better every round of golf out there. I did. I went from an eighty-three, I think, down to a seventy-nine. So it's about that. That's my handicap is right there in that ten area, a little bit around it. So. Uh, it worked out well. I mean, we had some bad weather, a lot of rain, a lot of wind, but we got the full effect. Of That's awesome. And, uh, but the guys had fun. That's good. That's good. So have you played golf your whole life, or has this been a new thing once no. baseball? I picked this up after I got out of baseball, so I retired in 2012, and uh, yeah. I had golfed at, you know just during the season in a couple of, like Albert's tournaments and things like yeah. that or something like you did for the Swing for Hope, Yeah, uh, different stuff like that with Jimmy involved, uh, Edmonds, and now it's – now it's me against that stupid golf ball try, <laughs> trying to get better and get my handicap down so I don't embarrass right. myself. What's more frustrating, throwing a fastball or hitting a golf ball? Oh, definitely hitting a, hitting a golf ball. It's just, it's just sitting there. It's right. not really moving, and um, it's hard to get to go straight. So here's a little uh, information. You were drafted by the New York Mets in 1991. You obviously know all this stuff, but laying, laying the land out here for our listeners, 300 career saves on the dot, 300 career saves. Uh, two-time All-Star, the National League saves leader in 2004 uh, with 47 saves, and you are married with a couple kiddos. Yeah, I'm married to my wife, Lori, with a 16-year-old daughter, God help me, uh, Madeline, <laughs> and uh, a 9-year-old daughter, Emerson, who is my little spark plug. And, uh, you know, they help keep me young. Uh, I, I don't get too much grass underneath my feet. You know, yeah. I just keep moving, keep moving, keep chasing um, especially the older one, I try to do as much as I can with her now because I miss so much when she was younger yeah. uh, playing baseball. So now it's um, it's total daddy time, and uh, it's uh, she just started driving. She just turned oh, sixteen, boy. so it's a whole new set of worries, as most parents know. But it's a blessing and a curse at the same time. That's but, right. And uh, I do get to spend some time, a little more time at home rather than running so much. Yeah. But it's a whole new set of worries. That's right. So let's dive into some of the mindset stuff. Uh, as you know, I love talking about that stuff. But when you think about, I, you probably don't remember this. We were golfing. This is years ago. We're over at Sunset Hills, and and you said one of the hardest things for you is to replace the adrenaline of that of the baseball, right? Right. When you got fifty thousand fans. You get the millions on TV watching. I mean, so. Talk to our listeners about that for a second. I mean, how do you replace something like that when, when it was such a big part of your life? I mean, where, where do you go find that now? <laughs> well, I mean, you got to remember it's, um, there, was a, there was one set of, of adrenaline when that phone would ring. 
telling me to get loose. And then when that bullpen gate opens up and I start running across the field and the songs come on and stuff, and uh, that's a new set of adrenaline. And then once uh, you know the, the umpire says play ball and I make that first pitch of the inning, it's just a mindset of having your – I was always like, you know, pin your ears back with your hair on fire and just go as hard as you can for as long as you can. And now it's um, – I really can't duplicate it. Yeah. You know, without getting without hurting myself right. pretty much. So right. uh, I try to do it with a little bit of hunting. Um, I am working with the Cardinals minor leaguers now. A lot of the young kids that are up in the big leagues now the last couple of years I've worked with. Yeah. And I get my adrenaline now watching them play. And yeah. I get more nervous now watching them than I ever Is did right? playing. Yeah. As most parents know who are athletes watching their kids, it's uh, yep. it's grueling. And um, But watching them on the highest stage, the biggest stage, and watching their failures and seeing how they react and helping them get through those hard times. I mean, everybody, it's easy when things are going good. Right. But um, when you screw up in front of the whole world and you're on uh, MLB Network that night getting abused by uh, people, uh, it can tend to mentally drain a kid. And uh, we just got to keep building them up and keep right. them going. So what advice do you give those kids? Because, you know, I think about the fact that, you know, one night you got to be pitching it maybe on a Monday night. And you may give up a home run and lose the game, but then that same phone call comes in the next night. You got to turn the page, right? Right. So, how do you do that? How do you? Um, how did you do it? How do you? How do you educate <laughs> them to do it? It's it's a difficult difficult process. I mean, I'm still doing it today. I mean, because every day that I think that I messed up as a father, I have to turn the page and <laughs> and, and do it all over again the next day. And you hope you make the right decisions. And um, the hardest part for me was. Um, uh, letting my teammates down so having that short-term memory yeah uh trusting your the process i we preach to these kids the process is more important than a product mm-hmm. and uh, our routine it has to be set in stone so one thing you do every day is your routine that's always set in stone and you know if you do that well then your job is complete for the day and uh once you start crossing things off the list each day you're you're having a good day and if right. you make one mistake you look back on your day, you made one mistake out of, say, 15 or 20 through the process. Yep. And uh, that's kind of how I preach to them today. I didn't have these tools as much when I was growing up. Right. You know, mine was uh, back of the old school way. You know, you have a couple adult pops, you go about it the next day. Right. And that's the way it was. But now we give these kids tools to help them deal with the pressures and the failures. And my whole thing is I'd want to explain to these kids, I want to see kids who aren't afraid to fail. You know, if I can find a kid who's not afraid to fail, he's going to succeed more times than not. Yep. And um, and that's what we preach to him. And we weed him out pretty quick. You'll find out who's got the stones to do it and who doesn't. Right, right. And, uh, and it, you probably know pretty quickly, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you got to have the stones and you got to have the heart. Right. And if you don't have both of them, you're going to get halfway there. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, like I said, we weed them out and we can find those kids pretty quick. So what are those habits and rituals when you think about a day? Cause you know, maybe you played, it's probably midnight, one o'clock for you get mm-hmm. to bed, even on a normal night, right? Forget going out and having a couple of pops, but you just get to bed at maybe it's midnight, sleep in a little bit. What's it look like then until nighttime when you're getting ready to play baseball again? I mean, for me, I mean, it, it, um, I guess it changed throughout the years, you know, being single and then having a family, having a wife and then having kids. You know, everything changes yep. from day to day or from, I guess, year to year, month to month. Um, but at the end of my career, it was like you get up, take the kids to school, you know, you check that off the list. You get them home, maybe take a nap, have breakfast with the wife, check that off the list. 
uh, get to the park. You know, I'd get there about noon to one for a seven o'clock game, yeah. and then the day starts. You know, you go out and you do your running, you do your lifting, you do your stretching, you do your therapy. Each check, 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 check. You know, and once the game starts, you know, it all. You got a whole new set of uh, checklists. Right. You know, you go out to the. I would always get to the bullpen about the fifth inning, so I would spend the first two innings in the in the dugout. Okay. You know, I'd always watch Tony Larusa go about his thing and talk to some starters about certain pitchers when they go over pitching reports, scouting reports, little stuff like that. So we're watching videos in the clubhouse. We're going over scouting reports, and then come second inning, I go in and take a shower, uh, take a you know, get dressed, which was you know was was a, a methodical process in its own. You know, always putting on the same socks. I was very superstitious to a point. Not that, uh, but if I had a bad game, everything went away and I had all new stuff. Um, but, you know, it, everything is a checklist and it all everybody's different. Yep. And we preach to these kids about having a routine. You know, everybody's different. But a lot of kids come from high schools or colleges and they think they have it figured out because they've had success. And then when they get hit in the mouth of failure, they learn real quick that they have to have something to fall back on. And a routine is something you can always fall back on. And when you have a good routine, then three-quarters of your day is already taken care of. Because as a pitcher, I mean, we know that once we let go of the ball, there's a lot of it that's not in our control anymore. And if we can't control things, we have to know that. And we can't control a ball lost in the sun, a bad hop, an air. So our failures come from other failures sometimes and we have to know that as pitchers and uh you know we we talk about routine we talk about controlling what we can control and if we do all those things when we let go of the baseball then we uh we have a good mindset but i think also you you come up with a game plan right maybe there's one out and nobody on and then all of a sudden hey you get a nice little ground ball to second base guy boots it now there's a man on first with one out that just changed your entire game (laughs) plan right now the game plan just went out the window now it's survival mode right and um then you fall back on uh, your scouting reports. You fall back on your strengths. You're using your strengths to get against their weaknesses. And sometimes my strengths was their strength, but I always knew that my strengths would beat theirs if I made a good pitch. Right. So I always went with my strength, no matter if they said, well, this guy can't hit a changeup. Well, I'm not going to get beat with my third best pitch. Right. So I'm going to get beat with my best pitch no matter what it is, as long as I put it in a good place. And then if I get beat, sometimes you have to tip your cap. Yep. Yep. You know? Yeah, and I think it's just like the quarterback in football, right? At the end of the day, whether the second baseman did that or not, it falls back on the pitcher, right? You're the one they're talking about. Well, the that, news, right? that's why I always say, I mean, that's why we get paid the big bucks, that's you right. know, just like a quarterback. I mean, right. no matter what happens, he gets the wins or the losses, even if his receiver drops one in the end zone. Right. He did his job, but like I said, you control what you can control. And if you do that at the end of the day, if you're okay with that, then you can go to sleep and right. hang your head high and know what you did all you can do. Yeah. So I'm going to grab this. Obviously, you grew up in Brighton, Illinois. Right. You see a Cardinal hat. You see the Cardinal logo. I'm assuming you grew up a Cardinal fan. Is that correct? Yep. So when you got to put that on for the first time, what was that like? Uh, I think I was more happy for my family than I was myself because my I was just a baseball player. Yeah. You know, but um, it was funny. I mean, the day that I agreed to sign with the Cardinals, I had left that morning and I was signing with the Texas Rangers. Oh, my goodness. And uh, myself and a friend of mine, Chris Wilderman, uh, we went out to Gateway National and played golf, and Mr. Duet called me on the phone. And I was like, hey, i got to take this phone call. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he goes, what's it going to take for me to get you a Cardinal, to become a Cardinal? And I was like, I just threw out a number. 
And he goes, all right, done. I'm like, well, maybe I should have made, Dang my, it. Maybe I should have made <laughs> my number a little higher. And we both kind of chuckled, but I said, it's not about the money. It was about you actually calling me and wanting me because I had never talked to him before. Wow. That's all I needed to hear. I was going to Texas because I sat down and had dinner with Mr. Hicks. He was the owner of yeah. the Rangers at that time. And that meant a lot to me. And I hadn't heard from Mr. DeWitt, but when I finally did, I was like, you could have said $50 right. and I would have been here because how can you pass up right. playing for the Child birds on the dream. bat? Right. And uh, growing up watching Willie and Ozzy and Keith Hernandez, and now I get to go to fantasy camps with all these guys, and they're my friends. I consider them close friends, and we, uh, you know, joke around with each other, and yeah. and um, we have a good time. And it's just been a a dream come true. Putting it, you know, now that you look back on it, and it's it just kind of all fell into place. Yeah. Uh, I didn't start here, and I didn't end here, but the best years of my career were here. So yeah. that's all I can wish for. Well, I think speaking for Cardinal Nation, I think we all consider you a lifelong Cardinal. You know, doing more research, and th- you know, I forgot that you didn't end here, and and obviously I knew you didn't start here, but. Yeah, I mean, man, you were you were a big part of our lives, and watching you play for the Cardinals was was phenomenal. So, uh, I mean, is that normal? Does does the player maybe it's different today, but in your day, does the owner call all the time, or is that pretty unique to the Cardinal? Do it doing that, or because don't they normally talk to the agent? Yeah, I think so. But nowadays, with the the contracts that they're handing out, I yeah. think it's such a it is such an investment for the owner to get involved. Yeah, and uh, you got a lot of hands-on owners these days. It's not the way it used to be, where Augie Bush was kind of just running the brewery, and the Cardinals right. was a sideshow for him. This is their deal, you know. This is what they do, and uh, Mr. Dewitt's very involved with day-to-day um, what's going on with the Cardinals. And uh, like when we have our organizational meetings, Mr. Dewitt's there. He wants to know about all the minor league kids. He wants to know who's coming up the pipeline. He's a wow. uh, He's a big baseball fan. I think he started off as a bat boy back in the yeah. day. And, uh, you know, he was involved with the Bush family, with the Rangers and the ownership there. And, um, you know, Mr. DeWitt's a lifelong baseball guy. Yeah. And uh, what he does is phenomenal for the communities, uh, rebuilding the downtown area. And, um, you know, it's great to have him as a boss. Right. Well, he got a good pickup yesterday. Yeah, that's not bad. That's I mean, not um, bad. Listen to all the, the sports talk shows. I mean, you don't realize that besides Mike Trout, he's probably the best all-around baseball player that there is in baseball and we got him for uh well at least one year right and um you know hopefully uh people around the area do a lot to make him fall in love with st louis and keep him around and feed him a lot of uh toasted raviolis and get him out there on the hill and uh, And has your bush all sorts of stuff so back to that you know when you're a kid watching ozzy and willie Mm -hmm. and keith and anna's you know we're close to the same age that was my prime as well do you ever just like pinch yourself when you're hanging out with ozzy and willie and like like my like I'm Jason Isringhausen. I was a pitcher. Right. Like, I'm hanging out with these guys now? Yeah, Willie, before he became a coach with the Major League team, he was like kind of what I do roving around the minor leagues, and we'd met, we'd meet up, and we'd go golfing, and yeah. we talk about the old times and things like that and just listen to the way he speaks to the kids. Um, there was a lot more to Willie than what met the eye because he was so quiet right. when he played, and uh, he's got a lot of knowledge, and for him to be on the big league staff now is, is pretty amazing. And uh, – you know, as we all know, watching him make those plays in 82 against the Brewers and things like that. And uh, he was my dad's favorite player. And then for me to get a signed jersey for my father. I mean, it's just been, oh, a, yeah. been a lifelong dream, you know, and it's just all coming true now. Yeah. It's been really cool. Did you get a lot of that stuff when you were playing, the memorabilia stuff from players? No, I have maybe eight autographs from okay. baseball. I mean, I played 22 years and I've got eight autographs. It was wow. just people that. You know, I was in awe of, yeah. or like Derek Jeter, I came up through the minor leagues against him. 
we always had, you know, we were always battling back and forth and right. stuff. It was the Mets and the Yankees yeah. who I came up with. And um, so I have him, Bonds, Clemens, Gwynn, and then guys that meant something to me, like Johnny Franco took me under his wing when I was yeah. with the Mets. So, I mean, it's just everything's yeah. got a meaning to me. Yeah. And, uh, of course, I've got uh, Nolan Ryans. I got to meet him. I met him in person finally my very last year. Uh, I was playing with Anaheim, and Mike Sosha was our manager. And I, him and Nolan, I guess, became buddies throughout the years. And our media guy come up to me and say, "Hey, would you like to meet Nolan Ryan?" It's like, yeah, started shaking. <laughs> and it was like the only time I've ever been like really starstruck in my life to meet anybody. And uh, got nervous, got b- birds in the belly, and all butterflies yeah. and everything. And I asked him if, if I said I'd be honored if you would sign a jersey for me. And he said, "Oh, sure, anything." And so I ended up mailing him one, and he wrote to me and. It was great watching your career and this and that. Wow. Good luck. And I was just like in awe. And right. It's like one of my prized possessions, yeah. Is that hanging up in the house somewhere? It's up in the man cave. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Thanks for listening to the Circuit of Success. I am your host, Brett Gilliland. Every single week we get to come to you. And it's just our honor to get to bring you great guests, uh, great information to help you live the best life that you possibly want to live. Whatever it may be, if you want to live the dream or work the dream, whatever it may be, we're just thankful that you tune in every single week on the Big 550 KTRS. Welcome back to the Circuit of Success. I'm Brett Gilliland, your host. Let's dive back into this week's guest. Talk about the day you got the call, right? Some people have some cool stories, some don't. But what was that day like? You get the call and say, Jason, you're coming to the big leagues. Uh, I was in AAA Norfolk uh, with the Mets, and I think Toby Hera was our manager. And I was a little bit of a problem child coming up. <laughs> you know, I had my fun in the minor leagues. You know, I was that, I was that big time prospect. And, you know, I had the world by the you know what, and yeah. kind of did whatever I wanted. And I got called in the office and thought I'd done something wrong again. And he kind of started berating me about something that he kind of knew about. And I was like, I didn't know. And then you know, it went into you know they want to see you in New York. And I thought I was in real trouble. But right. he says, "But you're going there to pitch, not to get in trouble." <laughs> and uh, so I mean, yeah, sigh of relief, and I right. got to call mom and dad. Uh, that's always and when these kids talk about getting to call their parents. It's always pretty special. And um, uh, you know, I got to make my debut in Chicago mm. against the Cubs, and I think I left 150 tickets for that day, you know. And then we all went out that night and had a big party uh. and stuff like that. So. Not a, it was a you know dream come true, and uh, you know when I got drafted, my father said you know go off and do this for a summer and come back and work at the refinery with me right. when you get done. And you know my career lasted 22 years, so it was uh, awesome. pretty special. But you know it's it's you know you just have certain moments throughout your career that you remember, and that was one of them. I calling my parents and then seeing all my friends and family when I was taking BP on Wrigley Field for my first start, pretty special. I bet. I yeah. bet. That's awesome. So do you, as a player, do you, you know, obviously growing up as a Cardinal fan, you know the Cub card rivalry. As a player, do you think about that? Like you're out there and like, oh, this is the Cubs. We, and obviously, if they're whoever's leading the division or whatever. Right. But you guys had a lot of success in your time here in St. Louis. But do you think about that stuff, the rivalries? Yeah, I think you. I think you have to because the fans make a big deal out of it. Right. I mean, it used to be really big back when we were there. We were having the, the Dusty Baker and the Tony La Russa's flipping each other off yep. across the diamond and yeah. throwing at people's heads and things like that. That was usually all taken care of before I would get in the game. Right. So, uh, you know, I hit people every once in a while, but maybe, not on purpose, though. No, yeah. never. <laughs> but it was always handled way before I got in the game and. Um, we always know who you're playing because the fan base lets you know right. who's coming up or 
when the Cubs are in town, how much blue is in the sea of red. Yeah. We always see that kind of stuff. Yep. So you know, there's there's no added pressure, but you know who you're playing. Were you? Uh, I was talking to Edmonds one time, and he's you know obviously a longtime Cardinal for those listeners. But he said his first game as a Cincinnati Red was that game. I can't remember if you were playing then or not. When they got in the big fight, like I mean the brawl. Were you part of that? Do you remember? I was not. No. Okay, I don't know if you were part of that or not. But I thought that's funny. His first game as a Cincinnati Red was against the Cardinals, and it turns into this massive right. brawl. And, Cueto kicked the guy or yeah, whatever it was. Yeah, he was stuff. kicking LaRue in the head. Yeah. And, uh, Roland, and Roland was on yeah. the Reds then. He went after yeah. Carp. And, yeah. Yeah, it was just a big debacle. Yeah, yeah. So when you think about your childhood, what were your dreams, your aspirations? And, and I guess a follow-up question is, when did you know you were different? Um, I, You know what? My dream, my father was a Navy guy. So my dream was probably I was going to go into the armed services. You know, I've always been enamored by the Navy SEALs and things like that and Special Forces. And I was never a big school. I went there because I was told to go there. I didn't really go there to learn anything. So I figured I'd go to a school and then go in the armed services and make a career out of that. But, you know, as a kid, you're always running around throwing rocks at things. And I was was the one that was never missing, knocking birds off poles and things like that. And... I could always throw it further and harder than everybody, you know, besides, a, you know, one one other friend of mine. And we played together. He got drafted by the Mets, too, Sean Watson. Wow. He was the reason that I got noticed because people were coming to watch him. And he was always the athlete of the year of the area and things like that. And um, so I owe a lot to him. But, you know, the more I played sports as a kid, you just kind of – everything kind of came easy. You know, I played every sport there was, and track and baseball were at the same time, but I never had to go to track practice. It was just like, just show up to a meet and begin, and (laughs) I was a jumper. I was a high jumper, a long jumper, Uh, and, but it was just things that just happened. I didn't, I never really thought about it until I got really, I had a, I had an old scout that came to high school to watch. I had myself, Sean Watson, and Matt Booz. We all got drafted out of Southwestern. And Sean and I were by the Mets. Matt was by the Rangers, and we all did it. And, you know, you kind of think about it, but then you're watching TV, and you're like, I can't do that. You know, I'm not as good as these guys. But then I got drafted as a – I was playing outfield, and the Mets said, well, you're going to pitch. I was like, just teach me how to do it. And I could always throw hard, so they kind of just kind of honed that in and started working out. And then uh, I – my second year in the minor leagues, I played in Pittsfield, Mass., I led the league in strikeouts, and then that's kind of like where I was like, well, you know what, maybe I got a chance at this. Right. And then just kept building and building and building, and then it just kind of took over from there. So it wasn't even like you were going in as a pitcher. You no. Totally mind shift changed to a different yeah. position. It was kind of like, you know, I was just an athlete, yeah. you know, and that's kind of like how we do it now as the Cardinals organization. We draft athletes. Yep. And if you have a guy, and I talk to our scouting director now, if you can find me an outfielder that can throw really, really hard, you know, good. We'll turn him into We'll a make him into a pitcher. <laughs> right. Yeah, and that's what we're trying to do now is that we're trying to draft some some bigger size guys that can throw yeah. hard, and we'll make them pitchers. That's awesome. Well, it wasn't it Mott, right? When he uh, he's drafted as a catcher. Rosenthal was yeah. an infielder. I mean, it happens a lot. Bob Force was a third baseman. Wow. I mean, it's it's just a lot of guys that pitch when they're little, their arm wears out. Yeah. But you find those kids that play in a position and they're good athletes, we can make them into pitchers. So talk about your philosophy as as a parent, as a former baseball player, now as a coach to kids. What are we doing wrong as parents? What are you, what are you seeing out there? Mm, I would say – Or is this a whole other podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't like awarding 
mediocrity. Yeah. You know, I, I just I don't like the fact that everybody gets a trophy. Yep. And I know, I mean, not every kid. I know every parent thinks their kid's going to be the next Mike Trout, but it's really not going to happen. Right. And uh, giving them false hopes for finishing last in the tournament and giving them a trophy, I don't believe in that. Yep. Um, I was always the one that only had first-place trophies. I hated a second-place trophy. Yep. And uh, I just awarding mediocrity is, is one of my biggest pet peeves. If you don't win, you don't win. Why right. do you, you know, first, second place is the first loser in my mind. It's always been that way. And, um, you know, like Ricky Bobby says, you're not first, you're last, <laughs> that's right. right? That's right. And I, I think right. that's one of the biggest things. And I really I don't like the whole select baseball thing. Mm-hmm. If you're a good baseball player in July, you'll be a good ba- baseball player next July too. Hmm. Uh, I heard that from John Smoltz one time. I mean, let kids play every sport you can. Right. And I hate the fact that high schools will only let kids play one sport sometimes. Right. Um but, I mean, that's just the world we live in right now. I also don't like the fact that kids are playing club sports over high school sport. Right. right? You see that a lot. And I'm like, man, you think about, I don't know, like we never won a state title or anything like that. Did you guys win a state title or anything? No, we got third one okay. time. So, but you think, like, those are the memories, though, you'll never forget. Exactly. Right? Just a tournament every weekend, you're not going to remember that. Well, everybody thinks that their kid's going to these showcases and stuff. If your kid's good, they're going to get noticed. Right. You know, that's just the way it is. Just yep. because he plays in a... Uh, ten thousand dollar league doesn't mean he's going to get a better chance to play college, Division one college, than the next kid. If, That's right. If you're a good athlete, if you're a good sport player, whatever sport it might be, you're going to get noticed. Yeah. It's just the way it is. So you're in line with my uh, time when I crushed one of my kids. Uh, I was coaching my son Drew in basketball, and it's one of those like why things, and everybody gets a medal, right? Well, I kind of secretly took the medals and I took them at home and I threw them in the trash can. And my son opens the trash can. He's like, "Are those our team trophies?" And I'm like, "Yep." I'm like, there's no winners and losers at the Y, so you don't get a trophy if you don't win, right? right? I mean, I yeah, can't stand and then, it. You know, they don't keep score sometimes. Right. <laughs> well, I just I, I hated that. I mean, yeah. I it's kids need to learn how to lose and learn how to lose gracefully because uh, you're never – life is not about winning every single time. It's the ones that lose and keep coming back for more right. are the ones that actually learn something. That's right. You know, it's – the old saying is like, you know, it's not how many times you get knocked down, it's how many times you get back up. That's right. And, uh, you know, I'm a firm believer in that. I always have been. I mean, that's the way I was raised. Yeah. You know, I've never settled for losing. I'm still that same way even when I play something with my kids today. I'm not going to let them beat me. I right. don't care what it is. Right. And uh, I've always said I'd step on my grandmother's neck to get first <laughs> place. And uh, yeah. my mother used to hate me for it, and my wife hates me for it now. But it's just the way I am, the it's way I'm reality, wired. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it obviously worked. So what were your parents like, I mean, to you as a kid? I mean, were they pushing, push, push? Did you just want it? I mean, what, what were you at on that? You know, it's – I loved going to, you know, when we had baseball practice, we lived in a little town of Brighton, Illinois, and we drove our bicycles up to the ballpark, and yep. I was there every single day. Right after school, we all would meet there and play stickball, Indian ball, whatever right. it was, and we loved practice. I mean, yep. we loved going. Now it seems like kids hate going to practice. They only want to play games. Right. But, you know, how do you get better? Right. It's just – that's what we talk about. The process is more important than the product. I mean, you put in the work. Everybody, it's the guys that do the little bit of extra are the ones that are going to stand right. out. I mean, yep. if you like being mediocrity or being in the middle of the road and being okay, being average, well, then that's great. But the guys that work harder and want to put in the extra work are the guys that are going to stand out. Right. And that's off the field, too, right? That's not just that's when practice is going. That's just in life yeah. in general. I mean, yeah. no, even doing – Whatever field you're in in your business, I mean, it's the guys that do that little bit of extra that yep. 
get the big offices, so to speak. That's right. That's right. So talk to us about, you know, people talk about balance all the time. I don't necessarily agree with the balance, but talk to us about balance and how did you do that with family and traveling? I mean, you're gone a lot, right? So how did you, how did you do that? So sorry to interrupt again, but so you think about the people now that whether they travel for work or they're just, they're busy, right? So how do you, how do you do that? How do you balance that stuff? Well, it's, it's, we all call it, I mean, it's a balancing act. You know, you have to uh, give and take. You know, you have to have a, I mean, behind a great man is an even better woman. Yep. You know, you better find a good wife who's That's okay right. with being a single parent, you know, <laughs> so to speak. Right. Especially as a professional athlete. I mean, my wife was a single parent for 10 years. Right. You know, we're never home. And when we're our home, we're home for three or four days and we screw up the program. Right. I mean, she gets so right. mad. She goes, it's just easier when you're not here. Right. Exactly. And because we screw up everything. So yeah. um, you got to have a strong woman to have a great career. And um, But the balancing act is, you know, you have to make time, no matter if it's – and uh, trust naps, really, for me. Mine yeah. was getting up early, taking the kids to school to be part of their life, and then coming back maybe taking a nap. Yeah. I mean, I had to make time for my children and my wife, or it just wasn't going to work. I didn't yeah. want to be that that father that didn't, or the kids grew up without one. Yeah, you know, and it's you got to sacrifice. Right. No matter if you want to get up and go hunting or whatever, when you know that your kid wants to be with you, right. yeah, you just have to sacrifice yeah. a lot. Sacrifice is a big deal. Yeah. Uh, when you hear the word fear, I ask every guest on here, how many fears you put in your mind? How many of them came true to the magnitude you put them in your mind to be? I was, I mean, don't, really, the, I don't, I don't fear anything. I fear for, well, I fear for my children getting hurt. Yep. Health. You know, I visited enough children's hospitals to see, you know, what goes on. And for me to be as lucky as I am to have a healthy family for the most part, I mean, I thank God every day for that. But yep. I think that's the, probably the, my biggest fear, especially now that my kids driving and the cell phones and the texting and driving and the distractions and everything that goes along with that that's probably my biggest fear now is when she leaves the house every day but other than that i i didn't i had a fear of failure that i learned how to turn into adrenaline when i was pitching because i was scared to death every time i went out there of failing so how'd you do that i it was a process I, i try to teach these kids today of how to turn that fear of failure into into adrenaline but you know, it, it was a, a simple process of being so scared to fail and then remembering what the sense of when I succeeded, what that felt like, and re- trying to block out the fear of failure and just putting that fear. I, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to explain how I did it, but it's it mainly just being so scared to fail at something that you had to succeed at you had your own little at whatever hacks, co- really. At whatever cost. Yeah. So you had your own little hack system, if you will, in your mind. Yeah, it was just say, a check oh, system in my brain. Yeah. 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 It's like, yeah, I'm scared to death to do this. Yeah. But I also know what the end result's going to feel like and able to put that above the other. So was visualization part of that? Like, did you sit down, like, maybe during the day and visualize success? I was not. Like? No. The only thing that I visualize, I, I would watch uh, good outings. I never watched a bad outing. Yeah. If I had a bad outing, I never watched Turn it. Turn the page. It right. was like that uh, mental memory mental fatigue of just watching over and over like i would i would have our video guy make up a tape of 50 fastballs down and away you know 50 fastballs up and in and then 50 curveballs and i would just watch them over and over and over Hmm. and watch my mechanics and remember what that because once i watched it on tv i can remember that exact pitch and what it felt like coming off my fingertips and as a pitcher 
when that ball comes off your hand in a certain way, it just like it's it's almost like when you hit the sweet spot on the golf club or on a baseball bat, you, know you don't that. feel anything. It's just like, oh, that ball's going a long way. <laughs> like when you hit a good drive. Right. right. And uh, it's the same thing when you're a pitcher. You feel that ball come off your fingertips, and you don't feel anything. When it comes off there bad, you can feel it in your wrist, your forearm, your yeah. shoulder, everything. And it was just just remembering those things. Yeah. How important is the uh, in today's world, and even when you're playing, the mobility, just stretching, taking care of your body, all that stuff? That, that has really, uh, I guess, morphed into something that we never had before. Yeah. Ours was all weightlifting. You know, right. be as strong as you can. My job as a reliever was a, a sprint, not so much as a pitcher when you're at the marathon. Right. When you're throwing 120 pitches a day, and it's it's you got to elongate your muscles, and as a reliever. I always tried to be as big as and strong as I could because I went for a short burst as as hard as I possibly could. Yep. It was just a sprint. So I lifted in that way. I would do like literally like five reps as heavy as I could possibly lift. Yep. And as uh, nowadays this, the pitchers are they're you know they're getting into the Pilates and all yeah. that stuff and trying to elongate the muscles uh, to give them better elasticity so to speak and so they can uh, the rigors of 220 innings of a year. I mean, it takes a, a big body to do that. And we also look at that when we're drafting kids. I mean, is this kid going to be able to sustain 200 innings? And is he not? Because, you know, a guy like, like a guy we just traded, Luke Weaver, yep. he was never going to sustain 200 innings in a year. <laughs> so, in my opinion. So, you know, moving to the bullpen, making a long man out of the bullpen, and that was probably he's his he's best bet. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Circuit of Success. I am your host, Brett Gilliland. Every single week we get to come to you. And it's just our honor to get to bring you great guests, uh, great information to help you live the best life that you possibly want to live. Whatever it may be, if you want to live the dream or work the dream, whatever it may be, we're just thankful that you tune in every single week on the Big 550 KTRS. Video conferencing. Welcome back to the Circuit of Success. I'm Brett Gilliland, your host. Let's dive back into this week's guest. So talk to us about some of your best baseball moments. If you had to narrow one or two or three things down, you probably got some of those in your mind. What are some of those? Um, probably AAA All-Star team. I pitched in the AAA All-Star, team, All-Star game and I got called up the next day. Hmm. So that's probably one. And then my big league debut in Chicago. How'd you do? Uh, seven innings, no decision. Seven innings, two runs, no decision. Nice. Um, and then probably an all-star game, my first one with the Oakland A's. Yeah. Um, closing out my first playoff game in Yankee Stadium. Mm. It was probably the nervous I'd ever been in my life. And there, it's been recorded of Jason Jambi was our first baseman, and he came up to me and I, it was a guy on first and second, one out. You know, and we're laughing on the mound, and everybody's like, "What are you guys laughing about?" It's like, you know, nuts cut the time. Exactly. And I told him, he goes, "What are you doing up here?" He always called me Baby Huey. Baby Huey. He goes, "Huey, what are you doing?" He goes, "I said, dude, I can't feel my legs. <laughs> I my leg. I was so nervous. I cannot feel my legs. I cannot feel my legs." And we just started laughing on the mound. And he's yeah. like, "All right, go get them." He goes, "Hey, because at least at least no watching." Yeah. Like that. And yeah. So it, then it was over with. Yeah. And then everything else was easy from there, really. And, you know, I got out of that jam, and then. Yeah. I said, if I can do this in Yankee Stadium, I can do it anywhere. In the playoffs, right? The old Yankee Stadium was weird. You'd be on the mound, and it looked like you'd look up, and it looked like the stadium never ended. It was so tall. Um, it's not like the new stadium where it's right. more spread out. Yeah. 
And uh, it's kind of like Chicago. It's kind of like Wrigley. It seems like everybody's yeah. right on top of you. What was your favorite stadium to play in? Besides Bush, of course. What was your favorite yeah, stadium? Um, I like Pittsburgh, actually. Okay. I love Pittsburgh. It's probably my favorite stadium. Staying I think it's home, voted a lot, though. Standing at home plate and seeing, you know, all the bridges yeah. and three rivers, how it all comes together. It's, well, probably that and Colorado with the mountains and the snow okay. caps and everything yeah. like that. Everything, you know, and then you got the nostalgia of Boston and yeah. old New York. And, um, you know, I got to play in Candlestick. I got to, I played in almost every old stadium. I didn't play in the Kingdom. And I didn't play in old Detroit Stadium. Okay. But everything else. Everything else. Fenway, I everything. Yeah. That's yeah, awesome. I got my name inside the wall in Fenway and all that good stuff. Yeah. And yeah, you know, when you play in the old stadiums like that, you think about the history. It's it's pretty amazing. It is amazing. So let's talk about a few. I'm going to say a few names. Tell me what these people mean to you. Uh, Tony Larusa, uh, father like. Why is that? Um, he stuck with me when he didn't really probably shouldn't. I mean, at times when I was hurt, you know, I had a bad hip, bad arm at times, and he kept throwing me out there. He's like, he just kept telling I said, I don't know. He goes, well, you're the best I got, so you're going out there. Yeah. So him having that faith in me, you know, made me believe in myself a little more. Yeah. And that really helped out a yeah. lot. So you see Tony now, what's what's that like? He always calls me Big Load. I mean, I, and he, we always give each other a hug or whatever, a little man hug. And yeah. uh, that's about it. You know, everybody knows Tony. He's like, hey, Tony, how are you? Well, I'll let you know at 1030. You know, <laughs> he was always right. that guy. Right. And, uh, but... A brilliant baseball mind, sometimes too brilliant. He would get too far ahead yeah. of himself and forget to get a reliever up for the next hitter. He's thinking too far down the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, but learned a lot from him yeah. and uh, learned a lot about myself from him. Uh, Edmonds, the ones you can share, because I know you guys were sweet mates there for a while. Back uh, when they had to have sweet mates, right? Yeah. They don't do that anymore. Uh, Jimmy is, um, one. I mean, besides probably Albert was the, probably one of the best pure talents that I'd ever seen. Uh, Jimmy was that guy that would have a sprained pinky toe in spring training and never play in spring training until like the last week. Yeah. And rake. And, uh, you know, he knew his body better than anybody. He knew his ability better than anybody. And spring training was a waste for him. He would get about 15 at-bats for the season started and uh, and off he'd go. Amazing. He had uh, probably the most power the other way that I'd ever seen from anybody. He could hit the ball farther to left center than he could to right center as a left-handed wow. hitter, and that, and everybody knows what he could do in the outfield. It's amazing. He saved me some. Uh, he <laughs> saved me a few times, that's for sure. Who was? Were you pitching on the during the catch? Yeah, that's what I thought. And we were. If you talk to Jimmy, we were. Um, he made it. He made one the night before too. Yeah, we were sitting in the bar. Uh, shocker. And uh, we were talking. I was like, hey, when are you ever going to make one of those plays for me to save the game? And it wasn't the next night wow. that he made that. And then for our listeners, that's play. the one where he sprawled out. That was what? Oh, In Cincinnati. Yeah. Off Jason LaRue. He hit a ball to center field straight away, and he ran straight back, planted into the wall, and went up over the wall. And like he wasn't even looking at the ball. Yeah, that was he, amazing. His back was completely to the home plate and caught that ball. He was probably three foot over the wall. And uh, that's why his reaction was the way it was, that yeah, laughing, he was because we had up. just talked about it the night before, about huh, making that's that play cool. for That's cool. That's good to know that. Yeah, Because yeah. he does. He is kind of like laughing and oh, kind of yeah, going crazy. Yeah, because we had just talked about it that night before. Yeah. That's awesome. Wayno. Uh, Wayno. Uh, from baby to man, you know, we had him in 2006 as a rookie. Right. Uh, he was kind of piddling around in the bullpen, blah, blah, blah. I went down hurt. Yep. And, uh, you know, we sat in the office, me and uh, Tony and Dunk, and we talked about who could do it. And 
we didn't know Wayno that much at the time, but stuff-wise, we knew he had the stuff to do it. Yeah. And from that moment on, he just grew into who he is now, which is a consummate, you know, pro and the guy that you want on the mound when, yep. uh, when the, you know, when it gets tough. That's right. And uh, he has uh, became, besides Carp, one of the best, you know, competitors that yeah. we've probably ever seen as so, a – so where were you sitting then uh, as the the closer got hurt? Where were you sitting in, uh, I guess, Shea Stadium, Yankee Stadium? Uh, yeah, Shea 2006. Stadium, 2006. Beltran, who obviously for those maybe not be a Cardinal fan, is a Cardinal killer. Right. Bases juiced, we're up. Well, he, you know, Beltran, we got we pretty much made him that contract when he signed that big – he was with Houston. Yeah, right. And then we got him that big contract yeah, with the Mets. exactly. And uh, he comes up with, uh, I think, first and second, two outs, and um, – I think he started him off with a change-up for a strike and kind of piddled around a little bit and got him to 3-2. And, I mean, for a rookie with throw a set a of cojones to throw a, a 3-2 breaking ball the way he did. So in Shea Stadium, you have the Shea Stadium clubhouse. And then what we have is the creature den, which is underneath the stadium where they had like a little room. And you could go underneath there and there was a couch and there was a TV and everything was – so you're, we, myself, Mark Mulder, and Jason Marquis were all down there watching the game, and there's a delay. Oh, my gosh. So as the game's going on, we can't hear everything. So even like the Indy Chavez catch yeah. you know, over the wall yep. off uh, rolling, yep. the stadium shakes. So the stands are shaking above us. The dust is coming off the stands and stuff on wow. us. And then we don't know what's going on. And then you hear the, it just silence. And then the, he throws that curveball for a strike. And we're all jumping around, and then we got to run all the way around and run to the clubhouse and then run out on the field and stuff. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, we were in our lucky spot, so we couldn't leave. And right. It's just, you know, you, you know where you, everybody knows where they were on that pitch yeah. as a Cardinal fan. Yep. And the same thing when you struck out Inge to end that World Series. I mean, everybody knows where they were. That's right. And uh, some good times from Wayno, and, I mean, Wayno just built on it from there to where he is now, and now he's that guy that everybody looks for for leadership. And, yep. We tried to give it to him back then. Now he's giving it to us, and that's how we hopefully. What we talk about the Cardinal way is how we do it as players. I mean, you, you as an older guy, try to make the guy next to you better, and you yep. just keep building that repertoire and tradition, that, that yeah. tradition, and it's working so far. We just got to keep getting the right people in there. Last one, Yadier Molina, best ever, the goat. You know, greatest of all time yep. catchers. Um, watching him uh, protect a pitching staff. Watching him. Uh, the way he goes about, you know, preparation, and uh, he's just like a another pitching coach out there, and he is. Um, everybody knows what he can do defensively, right. but what he does mentally for the kids yep. is uh, amazing. And being what I do with bringing those kids up through the minor leagues, and we talk to him like, you know, just trust Yadi. Yadi knows what he's doing. Right. And if you shake off Yadi, you better not make a mistake because Yadi's <laughs> going to come after you right. for shaking him off. But. You know, Yachty's very understanding with the kids. He was there once. You know, he learned under Mike Matheny. Right. You know, I got to throw to both of them. I always say Mike was the robot and Yachty was the, the God-given talent. Mm. They're both go-glove catchers. Right. They both do it different ways. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to – I mean, as a Cardinal fan, you've had some of the best oh, yeah. ever. Yeah. You know, and we traded away Carson Kelly, who was the heir apparent to Yachty defensively. Right. And uh, so – but we got some two young kids in A-ball that are going to be really good All too. Right. Good. So we got something coming. Yeah. So were you superstitious? 
You know, I, I used to tell, used to say I wasn't, but when I look back on things, you know, like I said, changing my socks, changing shoes, gloves. Right. So I was a little Sitting bit. Sitting in your same seat. Like right now, I'm not. <laughs> right. You know, like if I go out to a hunting stand, I'm not superstitious about things right. or anything like that. But I guess I am in a way, like I'll wear the same sweatshirt if my daughter has a good volleyball game. I'll yeah. wear the same sweatshirt yeah. the next day. Little stuff. I'm that way. So what would you tell Jason Isringhausen, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago? What would you tell that guy looking back? Uh, take better care of yourself. Yeah. You know, I um, I lived my life to the fullest, had a lot of fun. You know, probably stayed out too late sometimes <laughs> when I should have got more sleep. Um, always thought that I was going to be able to throw, always. You yeah. know, I, I didn't take very good care of my arm and my body yeah. like kids do today. You know, nutrition more than anything. Yeah. You know, pitcher of beer and hot wings was my dinner. You know, it's just right. the way I, just the way it worked, and it worked out well. Right. Uh, just and I had farm boy strength. Yeah. You know, I wish I would have taken, like I said, better care of myself, better nutrition. Yeah. And I probably wouldn't feel the way I do now. I yeah. mean, you know, seventeen surgeries later. Seventeen. It's just, uh, getting out of bed every day is a chore, but you know, a couple of aspirin here and there, and we're good to go. Right. Maybe a pitcher of beer and some wings every now and then. Every now and then, yeah. Every now and <laughs> then at right. the club we'll have one. That's right. Well, man, it's been awesome. Uh, it's been awesome having you here. I, I appreciate really appreciate it. it. I loved watching your career. loved watching what you did. And uh, just, I, I love the fact that you're a Brighton, Illinois kid. You stay around. You're present in the community. And uh, you're not one of these guys that's like, man, you are all the way up here. You're approachable. You're, you're cool with normal folks like myself. I think it's awesome, man. Well, I just I've, I've never wanted to been that guy that people thought of as a horse's butt. Yeah, you know what I mean. I've always tried to pe- treat people the way that I want to be treated. Yeah, and you know, you never know who's you never know when you're going to be in a bad spot and right. you need somebody. So I tell every kid, you never know who you're going to meet every day. Watch you watch what bridges you burn. That's right. And uh, you know, treat people with respect. That's all we can do. All right, man. Well, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Circuit of Success. I am your host, Brett Gilliland, and each and every single week, we're going to bring you a great guest, whether that's a a business leader, a professional sports star, an author, whatever it is, we're going to bring you as much as we possibly can to help you live your best life. We get to dive into the roads that these people travel, the, uh, the successes, the struggles, the fears that they've put in their own minds, and do what they've done to become successful. And so we look forward to bringing that to you every single week. If you want more on our firm, Visionary Wealth Advisors, check us out online at visionarywealthadvisors.com. You can also find the show's website at circuitofsuccess.com. We'll be back next week with another great guest on the Circuit of Success. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.